Welcome to Infrastructure for a Better Future, a series where we have honest conversations about the infrastructure challenges we are facing and how we can build a better Aotearoa. In each episode, we talk to experts from here and overseas about what works when it comes to addressing these issues. Now my hare mai, konati tuwhare toa toku iwi, ka clear toku ingoa. Hei karanga aha aha itewaihanga. My name's Claire. I fuck up at Nati Tuforitoa, and I'm a researcher here at Tiwaihanga, the New Zealand Infrastructure Commission. With me today is Dr. Matthew Hughes from the Department of Civil and Natural Resources Engineering at the University of Canterbury. Tanakwe, Matthew. Tanakwe. Ko tene tako fakapapa. Ko te ramaro te maunga. Ko fininaki te awa. Ko pa te aroha te marai. Ko hiku tu te hapu. Me ko ngapoi te iwi. Me no wera, no kotirana, no ingarangi akutipuna. No ototahia hau. He kai mahi au i te whariwananga o Waitaha. Ko Matthew Hughes taku ingoa. No rera, te nākoe, Claire. Thank you for having me. Here at Tiwaihanga, we're in the process of undertaking some work we're calling the Māori Engagement in Infrastructure State of Play. We're looking at both Māori engagement on infrastructure proposals initiated by others and wider involvement of Māori in infrastructure, including ownership of and investment in infrastructure and involvement of Māori businesses and individuals in infrastructure. As part of that work, we've come across the research Dr Hughes is doing which looks at indigeneity and infrastructure, and we were interested in how it could overlap with our own research. Matthew, can you tell us a bit about indigeneity and infrastructure and what it means? Thanks, Claire. Um, I've come to this topic after quite a few years of doing infrastructure research, especially disaster impacts on infrastructure. and. Um, over that time, um, with our focus on what loss of service means uh, for communities, um, we've started to more broadly address impacts uh, on Indigenous peoples and in the Aotearoa context on, on, on Māori. I'm part of a wider team of academics and um, doctoral scholars across the country who are increasingly focusing on this. Um, but I guess uh, our general approach is similar to what the Waihanga is doing, um, which is trying to understand uh, the, the impacts of infrastructure development on Māori communities and the role that Māori communities um, play in infrastructure development um, and that interplay between um, development, economic development um, and communities. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. When you are talking about infrastructure, what do you think of as coming within that term? Um, I think of it quite broadly. Uh, I've been inspired over the last year or so um, by some um, some writing that a scholar in the United States called Kevin McCaffrey um, has been produced around the role that infrastructure has played in the development of community societies and civilizations for a long time. Uh, I think most people tend to think about roads, um, electricity and telecommunication systems um, and our water systems as infrastructure and schools and hospitals, that's all true. Uh, but what this framing, um, this more broad framing is, um, it, what it reveals is that 
Um, actually, infrastructure is not um, something solely out of our industrial modernity. It's been around for a long time. So I'll, I'll just briefly cover uh, what McCaffrey's framework is. So um, his framework is around um, viewing infrastructure as devices or technology or structures that human beings use to extract, process or distribute resources from the environment uh, at two um, ends that are of benefit to us. And infrastructure are those systems, devices, structures that are collectively innovated, uh, collectively constructed uh, and importantly collectively used or accessible. Uh, so this contrasts with tools, for example, on the other end of the infrastructure tool spectrum, which tend to be more individually innovated, constructed and used. So if we take this broad definition of infrastructure, um, of collective innovation, construction and utility uh, to extract resources from the environment and move them around for our benefit as societies, you start to see that um, a range of ancient civilizations and indigenous peoples have infrastructure. Um, and particularly when we think about uh, agriculture, um, the construction um, of structures, um, whether they be cultural infrastructure, um, religious um, structures, uh, or more utilitarian ones, we start to see uh, that all human societies have some form of infrastructure. So when you're thinking about indigeneity and infrastructure, it's that broader type of infrastructure, idea of infrastructure you're looking at? Yes, I think when we start to take an archaeological perspective and um, look at material civilization of indigenous peoples prior to, for example, European contact, um, using this framing um, um, helps us appreciate the sophistication uh, and the, um, the, the craftsmanship uh, and the collective effort that's gone into sustaining their societies through agriculture and, and water management and, and things like this. It's The intention is not to put a rather utilitarian and prosaic um, interpretation of those things uh, onto the past. It's really meant to elevate and appreciate the skill um, and, and wider communal efforts that these societies um, um, put into their infrastructure. And it, it, it actually provides a, a connecting line, a continuum of innovation and, and collective construction and utility from um, those societies to our modern ones. I appreciate that you're sort of, this is quite early in your research journey in this area, but what are you currently seeing? Well, uh, some of the work that we're starting to do um, is with our students is, is to again to I guess reinterpret the archaeological record through this lens. Um, other packages of work uh, that uh, colleagues and I are increasingly looking at uh, are the impacts of disasters, uh, flood events, earthquakes and things like that on infrastructure systems of relevance to Māori communities at the Hapu and Marae level. So um, uh, there are uh, through some of the um, research programs that have been well established over the last several years in New Zealand uh, with uh, within the, the universities and the Crown Research Institutes, 
uh, we have packages of work increasingly looking at um, the role that infrastructure plays into the com into community functioning in general uh, and also in, in particular with Mar uh, Marae. Um, so this work also includes looking at the resilience of Marae. Marae is cultural hubs and support and resilient hubs um, after events. Um, the cultural infrastructure of Marae and the supporting facilities is, is obviously of extreme importance to local those local communities on a normal um, basis, uh, but, it, but there's quite good documentation now um, of the role that these facilities play um, to support um, um, not just Maori communities, but but the wider surrounding communities after disasters, and that and that's really around uh, that cultural infrastructure, and also ensuring that those facilities um, are resilient to power outages and and um, interruptions to transport and, and and water systems and things like that. So um, so that's a couple of examples um, of wider work that's occurring. Um, and one other piece of work that I'm currently um, starting to make some some inroads on is documenting um, how post-disaster infrastructure recovery impacts local communities. Uh, and and going back over the last several years, uh, where uh, New Zealand has um, experienced some major disaster events, uh, flooding and earthquakes, uh, and 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 those do meet the definitions of disasters, in that. Um, often sudden events um, overwhelm local resources to respond to them um, and there's significant damage to infrastructure systems and communities. Um, uh, but also we need to be mindful that sometimes the in the in the drive to recover and restore those infrastructure systems which often require um, significant um, construction works, um, earth moving, um, uh, that there are cultural and environmental considerations that need to be taken account of, um, and some of which are particularly pertinent to Māori. So we're trying to build up a portfolio of case studies of how um, post-disaster reconstruction or, or re-establishment re of, of infrastructure systems um, have worked with close engagement and cooperation with Māori communities, um, and also um, documenting where things could have been improved so that um, in future for the next inevitable events to, to come, um, we try and ensure that the communities are not uh, unduly uh, harmed or disrupted um, in a cultural sense from these um, from these works. Um, from what you've looked at so far, are there any sort of emerging findings as to what works and what doesn't work? It's complicated because uh, different events, um, well, they're quite unique, uh, and uh, and um, communities are uh, heterogeneous, uh, they're diverse, um, but uh, that, that's to say, you know, uh, there's no one single opinion or voice that encapsulates all the thinking of 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 you know Marae um, communities or Hapu or even wider um, iwi level entities. But I think, um, and this has been well established for some time now in a non-disaster context, um, with infrastructure development in particular, uh, is the requirements for community engagement and consultation, um, particularly with Māori, 
Um, it's quite clear that uh, this needs to happen early in the process um, of projects being proposed and developed. Um, and there needs to be ongoing relationships that are personal, uh, that are respectful uh, and and open. And um, and that can be uh, difficult to do sometimes um, from the perspective of of uh, Marae communities and Hapu and, and iwi level entities. Um, there can be a lot on their plate um, for demands for uh, engagement and consultation. Um, a, a lot of the individuals in these communities um, are essentially doing this on a voluntary basis uh, and everyone's time and energy is limited. So um, so the the people behind the development projects, whether they be you know, private developments or or more public infrastructure developments need to be mindful of um, of the heavy toll that can be taken on local communities. And especially after a disaster event, uh, this is even even more more so. Um, so I think uh, what we've what has been documented and what I think is well recognised now um, is is the personal connections, the early engagement, the ongoing commitment to relationship building, uh, which uh, will gain the trust of communities. Some some of some of whom have a long history of distrust of, of government and other entities because of the um, history of this country. But earlier in our conversation, you touched on this um, concept of marae as infrastructure and the challenges facing um, some marae in terms of resilience. What kind of things are you seeing? Well, it's not so much the work that I've been doing, but um, uh, Te Puna Kōkiri, um some years ago um, published a report on um, the status of marae um, and that snapshot uh, basically uh, depicted uh, marae um, um, as being relatively poor in services and access to services. Um, a lot of marae, traditional marae in, uh, in traditional um, ancestral locations are often rural, sometimes coastal and rural. Um, often situated well away from public utilities, uh, including um, well-maintained roads, um, the uh, st status of water and sanitation um, utilities or infrastructure in and around the Marae um, has often required improvement. Um, the, the, the structural status or the, the condition of a lot of the buildings and other facilities themselves um many um maintenance so um and and one of the major things driving behind that uh were uh, the lack of investment uh, essentially um but because a lot of the investment would primarily need to come from the local communities themselves um and maybe a lot of people weren't living locally um and a range of other factors socioeconomic factors meant that um, you know, the physical status of Marae, including their infrastructure, needed some improvement. Now, um, uh, if we jump forward to today, um, that's very probably the case for a, a lot of uh, Marae uh, in many um, primarily rural communities. Uh, however, I think the situation is changing uh, for some iwi, some tribes, um, and the various hapu or sub-tribes uh, within them. Uh, 
we have seen um, in recent years, for example, in um, the South Island with Ngai Tahu, um, uh, they are able uh, through the structure of, of you know, the, the tribal entity, able to um, uh, essentially uh, invest in, in upgrades and, and improvements in marae infrastructure. And this comes after um, uh, their Treaty of Waitangi um, settlement and their ability to grow their economic base and therefore invest in their um, in their communities and in, in the cultural facilities that are of such great importance to them. And I think that's a very valuable lesson. Uh, other tribes are in a similar situation, but of course, uh, there are many other um, tribes across um, the country still to receive um, any form of settlement and their um, and ongoing negotiations within themselves and between um, the government um, to, to get to that point of redress. Um, but I think uh, what I mentioned before around the role that Mariah can play uh, as important community hubs that help support and provide resilience to the wider community and not just Māori. Um, uh, having this ability to uh, to have resilient and, uh, and um, com uh, community facilities is of great benefit uh, for everyone. And I think it's a strong argument um, for fair and um, speedy redress um, for these communities uh, for their own benefit. Um, but also, I think uh, increasingly, the more that I, uh, the more I see resilient Marae communities, and um, um, the more I see the wider area being resilient as well. As um, we touched on at the beginning, you're part of the Canterbury Engineering School. Um, how has engineering teaching changed with respect to this incorporating aspects of indigeneity? The intersection of indigeneity and, and engineering, um, uh, it's it's something that is, um, I wouldn't say it's completely new, but it's growing. Um, just as a bit of background, um, across um, the, the wider engineering education context, um, those in universities and other institutions that teach undergraduate engineering programs are internationally accredited to what is called the Washington Accord. Uh, this is essentially an international accreditation body uh, that includes uh, many countries now, in fact, which basically sets teaching standards around what um, engineers should learn at the undergraduate level. And this includes uh, designing solutions that meet specified needs for cultural, societal and environmental considerations. It means that their design and engineering reasoning needs to be informed by um, the contextual knowledge of social and cultural issues. Um, it means understanding and evaluating sustainability and impacts of engineering work and the impacts of engineering projects and engineering practice on society and environment. So uh, it's, it's up to the individual um, engineering educators to, to give effect to those, um, uh, those intentions. And in the context of the University of Canterbury, um, where I work, uh, we have uh, what are called um, graduate attributes. 
and and certainly our institution is not the only one that has this kind of um, declaration or intention to address um, certain attributes of our, of our of our graduates. One of the key pillars uh, is bicultural competence and confidence. So the University of Canterbury, uh, we, we endeavour um, in all our teaching programmes uh, where uh, practicable uh, and where possible to incorporate in our teaching, and this includes in engineering, um, uh, information on the nature of contemporary Maori organisational structures. So you know, this is the, uh, the Runanga or um, Hapu, Iwi and Iwi Corporation level of things. Um, try and address the traditional and contemporary realities of Māori society. Um, of course, the, the overarching context of we are in a nation um, uh, in which the Treaty of Waitangi is essentially um, one of our founding documents, and so we do have an obligation to address that. Um, we also um, are required to address the processes of colonization and globalization and with with particular regard to the impacts of those things on indigenous communities um, and, and 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 trying to encourage our students to think of how to apply um, these understandings in their chosen discipline and career and so um, to that end um, within the faculty of engineering um, uh, we are endeavouring um, to try and incorporate aspects of those into various of our undergraduate courses. Uh, we have um, a diploma in global humanitarian engineering, um, of which I'm a co-director, and, and one of the strands of that program is specifically to address these things and provide our engineering students opportunities to engage with um, with Marae and Marae communities and, and, um, uh, and work with them on design, um, around climate resilience, disaster resilience, sustainability initiatives, um, and those sorts of things. So it's um, this. This is really addressing the fact that we live in in this nation that has that founding document of the treaty. It's taking that seriously, um, and uh, engineering is one of those disciplines that um, is starting to make headway. Um, to explicitly acknowledge this in our in our in our curriculum, and um, it's it provides our students the legitimacy uh, to engage um, with the iwi Māori um, in their careers, which they are, will be required to do uh, when our students graduate and if they do stay in Aotearoa, New Zealand. The requirement to work with iwi is is going to be there at some point. Um, and and particularly for those iwi that are significant economic and political forces um, who uh, themselves are significant developers and um, uh, and owners of, of farms and have construction companies um, uh, this will this will be extremely important um, knowledge for our students to have so they can engage successfully as professional engineers, um, including on infrastructure development projects. Um, final question from me. What do you think the future might look like or what do you hope the future might look like in this area? That's a good question. Um, I think um, Hmm. 
I think it's important to recognize that um, the the trend of, um, I guess, for want of a better word, mainstream engineering um, um, being to being required uh, to increase its intercultural literacy, uh, for want of a better word, is only going to increase. Um, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, as I mentioned before, um, as um, Iwi Māori um, increasingly um, grow their capability, um, their autonomy, um, which may well include um, developing, um, helping, you know, being involved in their own development projects, um, this ability to connect with the Māori worldview and the sort of holistic approach to things is only going to, going to become more important. This is also, um, we have to recognise, a contested space. Um, not everyone agrees uh, with this approach. And in fact, um, Te Waihanga's own research in the development of the infrastructure strategy that um, you have released um, uh, also clearly shows that some of these ideas are contested around parts of the New Zealand population not necessarily agreeing um, that this greater involvement of Māori and in infrastructure development is the right way to go. I think um, those are voices that uh, will um, probably continue to be heard, but I think the overall trend um, is for um, a greater recognition of, of through the Treaty of Waitangi, of, of Māori being a partner um, uh, in, in a range of different infrastructure development projects. I think we can see um, uh, the integration of indigeneity or, uh, and Tao Māori in particular with engineering education um, continuing. And uh, I also want to make the point that while a lot of this focus is obviously relevant to Aotearoa, um, this is not inward-looking and only relevant to here. We have a, um, a highly international student body um, in, at the undergraduate and postgraduate level in our um, institution, uh, many of whom come from nations with their own Indigenous peoples uh, and their own long-term um, uh, colonisation processes that they have lived through. And so this phenomenon of increasingly um, recognising that and ensuring that those Indigenous voices are heard uh, in infrastructure development projects um, is a global issue. And so um, what we're doing here is, is, is helping foster that thinking that will be of global relevance. And only in the last few days, um, uh, there have been, you know, there's been media reporting of a range of different international collaborations and infrastructure development proposals um, uh, that span multiple countries across the Eurasian continent. Um, there is China's Belt and Road Program. There are initiatives um, led out of other coalitions of countries, uh, and they all revolve around international and transborder infrastructure development. And, and in many of the areas and regions across the world where these developments are going to occur, uh, there are indigenous uh, communities. And so um, this issue is not going away. Um, in addition to all the other changes going on in, in our modern world, um, I think there's going to be an increasing um, demand 
that engineering as a practice and infrastructure developments uh, recognize the positive and negative impacts of their developments on indigenous communities. And, and uh, I think the engineering profession um, is going to increase, is going to have to work harder uh, to, to ensure it has the social license and the legitimacy um, to conduct these projects. Um, and we just need to rem remind ourselves that um, the, all the economic benefits that can come from infrastructure projects um, need to be uh, widely um, um, made available, especially to those communities who potentially are negatively impacted by these developments. So I, what I hope to see for the future is the engineering profession increasingly taking this seriously uh, and um, and being able to um, provide the economic and you know the flourishing that can come from um, our built environments needs to be widely shared. And so that's more, that's what my hope is. Dr. Hughes, Tenarawa uh, Akwe, thank you very much. Uh, for those of you listening, Kanui uh, Tane, that's it for now. Hekona, goodbye. Thanks for listening. Find out more about the work Tiwaihanga is doing to transform infrastructure in Aotearoa at tiwaihanga.govt.nz.